it. My name's Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege of wrapping up this four-part series we've been in called But First. If you remember on the first week, uh, Eric talked to us about the calling of Christ and how Jesus calls. And then we studied and learned and uh, going on in Mark 1 about how Jesus delivers. And then last week, how Jesus heals. And, and today, my topic is Jesus forgives. What an incredible truth that we want to remember that he is a forgiving, compassionate, kind, and loving God. And just as we get ready, I just want to let you know uh, how grateful I am to be able to stand before you today. It hit me this week in, in a fresh way in our missions team meeting Tuesday nights. Uh, there's so much pain and hurting right, in our lives. I know many of us are going through many things, uh, carrying heavy burdens, uh, weighed down, and what a privilege and honor and responsibility to be able to share God's word with you this morning. And it's my prayer that his word will encourage your heart today, that you'll hear uh, his voice speaking to you this morning, and that his hope uh, and his love and his grace will flood your soul. And so that's my prayer for, for us this morning together. Uh, before we dive into our text for today, which if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, uh, Mark chapter 2 is where we'll be today. Uh, I want to tell you a little story um, from uh, quite a few years ago. Uh, Becky and I, my wife, we led a two-month mission trip uh, to Kenya, Africa, and, and there we are in Kenya. Uh, this was uh, 2002, I believe, and that picture there is there primarily to show you that I've not always been fat, okay? There's... There's physical evidence that I used to be skinny. That picture serves no other purpose, but I want you to know that. And so as we, um, as we were in Kenya, uh, with, serving with youth with a mission, we had this rhythm of working hard for six days uh, and then taking a day off. It's almost a biblical idea, right? The Sabbath. So we work hard, we minister hard, we take a day off. And, and on one of our particular days off, we wanted to hike to a waterfall, and our guide that was there with us, one of the local YWAM staff, had told us about this beautiful hike that leads to this brilliant waterfall. And, and we were thrilled uh, to be able to go and see this waterfall. So we're hiking there, and as we're going along the trail, uh, we come to an impasse. The trail is completely blocked. And we can see the waterfall. We can hear it. Uh, we can see the stream that's just rushing. Uh, but we can't get to where we're trying to go. We can't get to this waterfall because the trail, it's, it's completely blocked. And so the team was a little disgruntled, but there were a few of us, men and women of great faith, who said, we will find a way. We can't go on the trail. There's another way. And so we climbed out into the river, and you have to understand, this river is rushing. This waterfall is coming with great power, and we're climbing on these wet rocks, trying to find a way. We can't get there on the trail, so we'll go through the river right up to it. <laughs> I'm 22 years old at the time. My frontal lobe is not fully developed. Okay. <laughs> My wife now, however, she's on the sideline thinking, what are you doing? You're their leader. Stop it. And I pretended like I couldn't hear her over the sound of the rushing water. And we kept going. Me, Joe, and Mel, we pressed on. And, and we got to this one place in the middle of the river, and there were these boulders. And, and water was just like pouring in like a, some kind of sinkhole. And we were kind of stuck, and there didn't seem to be a way forward. And, and we sat there, and we contemplated what to do. And eventually, Joe and I began to turn back to go back to the team. And we thought Mel was behind us. He's got a picture of my friend Mel here behind us. Uh, she, uh, all of a sudden, as we were walking back, my wife's heart, she said, oh, thank goodness. They're smart enough to turn back. And then we heard the voice of Mel saying, wait, I think I found a way. No one on the side could hear this, but Joe and I turned back. 
and we began moving back to the center of the river, and my wife's heart's just like, that boy. Now, here's what you need to know. One of the things I've learned about myself, even since being here, uh, has anyone ever heard of the Enneagram? Ancient kind of personality, yeah, profiling assessment. So we've been going through this, and uh, this year for Christmas, Eric got all of us pastors uh, uh, a little cup that kind of captures who we are in the Enneagram, okay? And so here's a picture of my cup, if we can get that up there. It says, that's a horrible idea. What time? Okay. <laughs> I'm a seven, right? I love adventure and fun, and I'm always looking for a good time. Even if it's not the best idea, like, I, I've got the FOMO, the fear of missing out, right? And so I was driven by this desire, right? If somebody's getting to the waterfall, I must be amongst them, right? I can't turn back because it's wise or smart. I got to go. And, and so we press forward, and, and eventually we, we find our way around. We follow Mel, and she leads us to this waterfall. And I got this picture back in the old days, right, before you could, like, just take a picture on your phone, and you had to like wait for film to see if it turned out. So it wasn't great, but that's me and Joe. We're there, and we're only there because we didn't give up. We're only there because we found another way when the obvious way was blocked. This morning, we're going to look at Mark chapter 2 together and see a story about some men who encountered a similar blockage. If you got your Bibles, read with me here in Mark chapter 2. Verse 1, it says, a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum. Now, Capernaum was where he was based for his ministry at this time. And, and most scholars agree that when he's at Capernaum, this house that they're talking about in the story was most likely Peter's house. And if you'll recall, Peter is the eyewitness account for the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Peter is the one who, who gave Mark the information. And, and notice it's interesting in this story. He's going to talk a lot about his roof, um, but we'll see that in a minute. A few days later... When Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. See, Jesus was trying to keep a low profile, but how many of you know when you start delivering people from demons and healing the sick, word gets out, right? So the word gets out, and people come, and it says in verse 2, they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And Jesus preached the word to them. And some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them, since they could not get to him uh, to Jesus, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above by digging through it, and they lowered the man on the mats down in front of Christ. Those are some good friends. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. A bit of a head-scratcher. It doesn't look like he came looking for forgiveness. It looked like maybe he came looking for healing. Verse 6, now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's, he's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Don't you love that? Jesus wins an argument that hasn't even started yet. Right? He knows what they're thinking in their hearts. And already he's responding. In verse 9, he says, which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So, right, so because I want you to know this, here's what I'm going to do. He says to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. 
And they praise God saying, we've never seen anything like this before. May God so move in our midst that we too will say, we've never seen anything like this before. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that today that you would speak to us from your word. Lord, we pray that this message would come alive in our hearts, Lord, and, and Holy Spirit, would you direct my words and would they land in all of our hearts, that we might receive what you want to say to us today. Lord, for all of us, especially those of us in this room that are hard-headed, can I get an amen? amen? All right, amen. So, today, I've got seven simple points. It's a perfect sermon, right? Seven is the number of perfection, so we know this is going to be a perfect sermon so here's what I want us to do. I want to just walk through some of these observations that I found reading this text. And when I first read this passage of Scripture several weeks ago, I did not anticipate uh, the direction kind of going where the Lord led me, but I believe that he has a word for us today. And the first thing that I want us to realize in this story, when these men come dragging their friend to Jesus, we don't know how far they've drugged this man. Right? This man is, is mat-ridden. Right? He's, he's lying on this mat. He's been on this mat probably all his life. And these friends drag him all the way to Peter's house. We don't know how far that was, but if you've ever carried a grown man, you were tired when you got there. Now imagine they get there and they come to this house and they can't even get in. Right? The house is full, so much so that the crowd has spilled out on the streets around them and they cannot get in the door. What would you do? Come on, I like that. Somebody read the story, right? Get up to the roof, right? But here's the deal. Sometimes when you're trying to get in one door and you can't, it's because there is another door, right? There, there's another door that God might have for you, right? Sometimes we're met at the door of discouragement. We're met uh, with disappointment. We meet our doubts, and we thought that God was leading us somewhere only to get there and realize we can't get in. And disappointment grips our heart, and discouragement consumes us, and it's easy to give up. It's easy to think, well, this door's closed. It's easy to think, well, it must not be God's will to move today. It's easy to think, let's just go home. But these men didn't go home, right? The, the, the second observation is this. Sometimes when obstacles, okay, sometimes when these obstacles and opposition comes against us, it requires that we go to a higher level, I remember listening to a sermon on this a while back, and the pastor who was preaching said, you know, sometimes it's just God closes one door because he's calling you to a higher level. And I love that in this story, uh, these men didn't give up. They, they climbed up, right? They didn't give up on what they came to do. They climbed up to a new place. They climbed up to a higher level, and that's something I think that God wants to stir in our hearts. Maybe you're here today, and you're on the verge of giving up. You, you've been met with opposition. You've been met with difficulty. You've been met with resistance. And you think, well, this might not be God's will. Maybe I missed it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I should give up. No, no, don't give up. Go up. Right? You need to climb up to another level. Because in that other level, where the obstacles blocked you, it might become your greatest opportunity. Right? So these men don't give up. They climb up. And they take their friend and they drag him after they drug him all the way, wherever they came from, to Peter's house. And they can't get in. They drag his body all the way up to the roof. And after dragging his body to the roof, guess what? There's, there's not a door there. Sometimes you've got to dig a door, right? Sometimes you've got to dig a door. And so they begin to dig into the roof, the text tells us. They dig a hole in the roof big enough that they can lower him down. And that's taking some work. Think how tired they must have been at this time. They've dragged the man. They've carried the man up. And now they're digging a hole in. And when they dig the hole and they let him in, right, they lower him before Jesus. 
The third thing that came to my heart as I was preparing this message is simply this. Don't give up when it's time to dig in. Right? Don't give up when it's time to dig in. And in my heart, I just sensed as I prepared this, it, it might have been the Holy Spirit. It, it might have just been common sense because so many of us are gathered here today. But some of us, I believe, are on the verge of giving up. Some of us have been praying for a miracle for so long that we're beginning to doubt it's going to happen. Some of us have had our requests delayed or denied, and so we've grown discouraged. Some of us have pressed forward, but we're weary and we're tired, and we just want to quit. We just want to go home. And what I feel like the Lord wants to say to us as a body this morning is don't give up. It's time to dig in. Right? you got to go to a higher level, then you got to begin to dig in and see what God might do. And so these men, they didn't give up. They dug in. I was reading a devotional. I shared this with our missions committee uh, this week, but I was reading a devotional uh, from Bob Goff, and he talked about the speed, uh, breaking the sound barrier. And, and I know most of you probably already know this, but it was new to me. Uh, the sound barrier is broken at 768 miles per hour. And, and, and this author wondered aloud, why did it take so long for man with their modern aircraft to be able to break through the sound barrier? They had the capability. Their planes had the capacity. Uh, they had the tools, but for so long, they did not get through that sound barrier. And, and why? Maybe it's because of what happened at mile 767, right? When they got right up to the point of breakthrough, and all the energy uh, was just pressing against their plane, causing a violent shaking, causing some turbulence, right? Causing uh, some rickety shaking, fear to creep up. Maybe instead of throwing the throttle forward to break through, they pulled the throttle back and gave up. But eventually, someone did break through. Someone hit that resistance, and instead of giving up, instead of throttling down, they throttled up, and they went right through that sound barrier and found this peace that was found on the other side of the storm. I don't even think I have to spell it out. Right? We, we understand that sometimes the rattling is the strongest right before the point of breakthrough. So friends, if you're feeling some nerve-wracking rattling in your life, if you feel like there's all this opposition and energy against you, that's not a time to throttle back. It's a time to press through, okay? It's a time to dig in. Don't give up when the God is inviting you to dig in. And so he digs a hole in the roof, and they lower, they lower their friend down. It's funny that Mark writes about this since it's Peter's eyewitness account. I don't think all the other authors really talk about the damage to the roof, but Peter remembers that because it's his house right? So Peter's like, that's great, but you know, I'm gonna have to fix this roof. And so his friends are out there, and they lower, they lower this man down, right? They lower him down in front of Jesus, and Jesus, I've never seen this before. Jesus said, it says in the text, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus saw their faith, observation four, he said, your sins are forgiven. Hey, whoa, whoa, something's not right. I thought this might be the version I was reading. I thought maybe it's just Mark's account. So I went to the other synoptic gospels, and all of them say the same thing. When Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the friends, he said to the paralytic man, your sins are forgiven. Could it be that God wants to use your faith to change the trajectory of someone else's life? Could it be that God wants to use your faith to change someone else's world? I was talking to John right before I came in, and he said, of course, you know, I couldn't get my head around how could their faith lead to his forgiveness, and he made a great point. It was Christ's faith that led to our forgiveness. 
And these friends, they drag their friend in. And maybe Jesus is talking collectively. Maybe the, their faith includes the man on the mat. Maybe it doesn't. We don't know. But what we know is that Jesus pronounced forgiveness. And that caused a little commotion. Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. Now I want you to think about these friends. I want you to think about these friends that dragged this body all the way through Capernaum, all the way on top of a roof, that dug a hole in the roof and lowered their friend down. And they're, they're still up there, right? They didn't say they jumped in the hole with him. So the man's down there in front of Jesus, and they're like kind of leaning in over the hole they dug and trying not to look Peter in the eye, right, because they're getting scared. Peter had a temper. I don't know if you knew that. And, and they're looking, and all of a sudden Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Imagine what the friends are thinking on that rooftop. What did he say? He said something about his sins be forgiven. What? Like, that's not why we brought him up on this roof, right? That's not why we drug our friend into the presence of Christ, not so he could forgive his sins. We want to heal his body. We don't want to carry him home. <laughs> right, we, ain't, we ain't carrying him back home. That's great, Jesus. Can you fix his legs too? Right, think about what the friends must be thinking when they hear Jesus say, your sins are forgiven. And the friends aren't the only ones who get upset, who get rattled. All of a sudden, the scribes and the Pharisees are like, what? He just said, your, your sins are forgiven? And you can almost see the, the uh, gradual intensification of their fault-finding mood in verse 6, where it's like, well, at first they're probably surprised. At first they're surprised by this, and, and then maybe they have this feeling of impropriety, like, that's not right, you, you can't do that. And then finally they say, that's outright blasphemy. And here's the deal, before we, we get too down on the scribes and leaders, they're actually right. right? And, and under Judaism... When, when you came forward to get forgiveness of sins, it was at the temple and after a sacrifice and a priest was there to pronounce forgiveness of sins. But they're not at the temple. They're at Peter's house. There's no sacrifice. There's simply the effort of his friends to bring him before Jesus. And then Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. They're thinking that's blasphemy. And here's the deal. They're not wrong. They're not wrong on what they're saying if Jesus is just a teacher. Their error wasn't what they believed about rabbis. Rabbis couldn't do that. Their error was not seeing who Jesus was, right? That Jesus is God. Jesus is God, the Son. And Jesus is about to reveal to them who he is by what he does. Right? He wants them to know, hey, this is a setup. This is, this is a holy setup. Don't you love when God sets you up? No, not always. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. My, my fifth thing that I read when I came to this, because I thought, I think Jesus knew what he was going to do. I think Jesus knew that the friends brought him there to, to see him healed. But Jesus just wanted to mess with them a little bit, right? Jesus wanted to have a little bit of fun. And maybe today Jesus needs to mess with you a little bit. He might want to mess with your theology. He might want to mess with your thinking. Not you, I'm talking to your neighbor. Don't worry, just relax. <laughs> and so here we are. Your sins are forgiven. And then I think Jesus is thinking, as they bring him down, why not both? Why not both? Why not forgive his sins and heal his body? And, and I say that playfully because I, I, I traveled, I, I shared the story, I traveled um, to Asia in October with some friends, uh, scouting out some ministry sites and some places we're going to do some future uh, mission work. And one of my buddies, Gary, there, he, he kind of had this mantra, why not both? One night we're sitting down for dinner and we're looking at the menu trying to decide what appetizer to order. I'm like, should we get the crab cakes, right, or the cheese sticks? And Gary says, why not both? So we ordered both. I know you're thinking, I can tell you why not. Look at yourself. But still, we didn't go there. Why not both? Should, should we go visit this side or this side? Why not both? It became kind of a, a running joke. 
And so that's, that slogan's in my mind now. So as I read this text, I thought, I can see Jesus just thinking, why not both? Why not both? Let's handle, let's handle all of this. See, Jesus understands what the man's real need was. Jesus understood the, the greater need in front of him. It wasn't the healing of his body. It was the, the forgiveness of his sins. So he starts there. He said, your sins are forgiven. Because God, Jesus is God, and he alone has the ability to pronounce that. Not because of us and our works, but because of what he was going to do in his life, death, and resurrection. He knew that he was making a way for us when there was no way. Right? He was coming to do that. And Jesus, like, don't leave him hanging. He says, you know, I want you to know that the Son of Man has power and authority to forgive sins. And so, so that you may know that, here's what he does. Where are we? Verse 9. Sorry, verse 10. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I'll tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, and he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. See, Jesus is showing us right here in this passage that he is demonstrating his authority to both forgive sins and to heal the sick. He has authority to do both. He can do well. And what's great is that forgiveness is the greater need. I love what Warren Wisby says in this quote that I hope it's going, yes, okay. Forgiveness is the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performs. It meets the greatest need. It costs the greatest price. It brings the greatest blessing and the most lasting results. Right? G- forgiveness is Jesus' greatest miracle. Those results last into eternity. Guess what? He's still going to die someday. That body that Jesus healed, it's still gonna, he's still going to die. But Jesus knows that what's going to last is the forgiveness he's offering him. And he offers them both in that moment. But it didn't seem like he was going to do that at first. How many of you know that sometimes God will bypass what you think you want? to give you what you actually need, right? Sometimes he's going to bypass what you think you need. He's going to give you what you really need. And we need to come to a place of absolute surrender and trust where we believe that what he thinks is best for us is best for us. When we can't understand from our finite, limited perspective what he is doing in his unlimited, infinite wisdom, right? He has a plan and we can trust him. But the danger becomes when we think that we can't get there, when we think we can't get to the place we want to, that we give up too soon. Let's not give up when he invites us to dig in. In fact, my, my last observation is simply this. The mat that carried the man ended up being the man carrying the mat. Right? That mat had carried that man most of his life, as far as we know. But in that moment, after Jesus speaks... After Jesus moves, the mat that held that man bondage no longer did. Instead, the man was holding the mat. And what I believe is that someday the, 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 the sin and the temptation and the sickness that we carry that holds us captive will one day be held captive when Jesus moves in our life. Whether it's on this side of eternity or not, he's going to do it. He is making all things new. He is bringing about his perfect plan and his will. And that mat doesn't have to hold you anymore. Sometimes you just need four friends, right, to bring you into the presence of Christ. Sometimes we need friends who will carry us when we can't carry on. 
There are going to be times in our life when we just can't get there on our own, and we need our friends to grab us and to drag us into the presence of Jesus, knowing that if we can get in front of Christ, who knows what he might do in our life. It might not be what we expect. I'm willing to bet it's going to be exceedingly, abundantly, beyond anything you can ask or imagine. Ephesians 3.20, right? He wants to do more. There's another door. There's another door. And it's that that we remind ourselves of today as we come to this table. As we get ready to uh, come to a time of communion, let us remind ourselves of what this means. In the thick of our darkness, Jesus sheds his light. In the midst of our depravity, he offers his grace. In the midst of our sickness, Jesus has the power to heal. And as we take communion and we remind ourselves of who he is to us and who he is for us, that Jesus can touch us in an instant and everything can be changed. Our sickness can be healed. Our sins can be forgiven. Our discouragement can turn to encouragement. All it takes is a single touch from him. And so it's my prayer this morning that as we share this table together, that Jesus will come in this moment and he will minister to your heart. That the Holy Spirit will minister to you right here, right now. He knows your greatest need. And communion reminds us of this, that Jesus meets us at the point of our greatest need. He knows what it is. And as you come to receive these elements today, I want you just to take a moment as you prepare your heart to take them and tell Jesus what you need him to be. Cry out to him. Tell him why you're there. Don't give up. Dig in. This is the time to dig in, not to shrink back. And perhaps there might be some here today that have never made that decision to personally follow Jesus as their Savior and Lord. I told you at the beginning there's another door. What I want to tell you now is Jesus is that door. In John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus made this announcement. He said, I am the door. All who enter by me shall be saved. There's forgiveness of sins for all. It doesn't matter what you've done because of who he is. There's no place his forgiveness cannot reach. There's there's no sin that he can't uh, forgive you of. All we have to do is to ask and receive, to receive the gift of the life he lived and the death he died on our behalf. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, come into my life. I acknowledge my sins and my shortcomings, and I want you to take control. I give you my heart. I give you my life. And you choose to turn from your wickedness, from your evil, from the sinful ways, and turn to Jesus, and he will help you because he is the door. You can pray that prayer right now in your seats as we prepare our hearts. I want to pray for us, and then I'm going to invite Pastor Eric to come and lead us uh, in communion. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the story. God, we thank you that you are a great and good God. We thank you for the forgiveness we have because of the shedding of your blood. We thank you that that grace is available to all who sit in this room this morning whether it's grace to believe and receive your goodness for the first time or grace to believe and receive your goodness for the thousandth time. Lord, help us not to give up. 
Help us, Lord, to dig in. In Jesus' name, amen.